All right, everybody. It's so good to see you this morning. Hey, will you do me a favor? Will you remain standing just for a moment? Will you remain standing? It's just a few days after Christmas, so I feel kind and feel like giving you a gift. And instead of having you sit down for five minutes and then stand up and do the Shema, we're just going to stay standing, do the Shema together as we uh, transition, move forward. Uh, so those of you who uh, are familiar with Riverside, maybe you're guest visiting with us. One of the things that we do that's maybe a little different, one of our traditions here as part of our family is we say the Shema together. Uh, this is a prayer that Jesus would have said. It comes out of the book of Deuteronomy. He would have said it at least a couple times a day, maybe two or three times a day. And um, it's one of the things that we do just to prepare our hearts to hear from God. Obviously, we've already been experiencing Him this morning. What a great morning of worship. Uh, so good. And so we just are going to stop and pause and begin with that as we turn our attention towards hearing from God this morning. And some of us will hold a pinky up. That's just a little reminder that in the tip of God's smallest finger is enough power to change the whole world and to touch your life, to touch your soul. And so that's why some of us hold that up as a little reminder. You'll see those words up on the screen, if we can put them up there, because I bet some don't know. Okay, and we'll do a little part in Hebrew and the rest in English. So if you'll join with me. Shema Israel, Adonai Lenehu, Adonai Akkad, hear O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we love you, and we're so, so thankful for you. And God, most desperately what we desire this morning is just to experience you and to hear from you today. So God, would you speak to each one of us, to each of our souls, right where we are, what we need to hear to continue to walk faithfully with you. We love you, Jesus, and ask this in your name. Amen. All right, friends, you can have a seat. I do have one little announcement that I was just handed. Um, one of the other things that happened on Christmas Eve that was fantastic is we had an abundance, a smorgasbord, you might say, of cookies, and it was awesome. We've actually, it's actually been an area that's been a little bit of a challenge the last couple years. I know Linda would attest to that. And we had an overwhelming response of people bringing homemade cookies. I mean, it was just awesome. So with that, we do have some um, Ziploc baggies over in the hub. If you want to go grab some cookies for the rest of the break and take those home, that would be awesome. Um, I hope you enjoyed your Christmas. Uh, it has been really good for our family. Uh, to be honest, I was wiped out yesterday. I mean, I went to bed at like 5.30 in the afternoon. Ser seriously, I'm not lying. I felt so bad. I'm like, felt like I was getting sick. I was, but I think maybe I was just worn out. We did the thing um, what some of you might be able to relate to. On the 26th, we made the really wise decision to go to the San Marcos Outlet Mall. Yeah, I told John that this morning, and his response was, why would you do that? <laughs> and, and that's true. Uh, but we had a great time. I will say I was so tired. I mean, my body hurt more than a hard day's hike in Israel by the time we were done. I'm looking at my watch going, there's no way that was only that many steps because I just hurt. Um, it was so, but it was so good. We had some great family time together and I hope you did uh, as well. And so before we kind of put a close on the Christmas season and turn the page to a new year, um, we're, we're wrapping up our series that we've been in uh, this Christmas by looking at one last story. And this truly is 
a gift that no one would have expected back in Jesus's day when this happens. We're looking at the story of the Magi. And it might be one of those stories that you've read before, you've read a lot of times and seen, but you've always kind of wondered, like, what exactly was really going on here? And my hope this morning is that we'll be able to kind of dive deep into this story enough that some of those answers, some of those things are seen that also redirect you to see how amazing God is in the way that he unfolds his plan and his story back with Jesus, but also right here today for you too. Um, So if you open your Bibles with me or open your app, uh, Matthew 2 is where we'll be today, chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Again, you can use that YouVersion app and look under the events section and pull up Riverside. You can find all this stuff on there as well. Um, And even go back in. There'll be some parts that uh, later on that I'll share with you that um, you may want to write down and go back and look on because you should never just believe me. (laughs) You should go back and look at some of these things yourself too. But in Matthew chapter 2, we see sometime after Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea, the time of King Herod, in the time of King Herod, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is the one who is born of the Jews? King of the Jews, sorry. For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was alarmed and all Jerusalem with him. After assembling all the chief priests and experts in the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they said, for it is written, for it is written this way by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, Judea are in no way least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Okay, we're going to pause right there because there's some interesting things. And if you're like me, you've probably read this story a few times and maybe you've gone, oh, okay, these guys show up and they're talking to Herod and, you know, they're asking for this king and Herod's the king, so Herod's a little upset about it. That makes sense. But there's some really interesting thing and wordings that's in here that I think are really fascinating. If you notice what it says, that it says, that King Herod was alarmed and all of Jerusalem with him, right? So why would that be if three old guys showed up with a couple of bags, right? Isn't that the nativity story that we see? The three wise men, right? Just coming through town. Why would anybody care? Why would all of Jerusalem notice? Why would they be alarmed, the scripture says? Maybe confused, uneasy, right? Well, because these wise men, these magi, were actually known all throughout the ancient world, all throughout the Roman uh, world. They would have been known who, in fact, they visited, or at least some portion of this group, visited Herod in about 10 A.D., Now, some of these years are a little flexible depending on which historians you look at, all that kind of stuff. But around 10 AD, we know for sure that some of this group of these magi or these wise men came and visited Herod. So it wasn't the first time that Herod had an experience with them. But these guys were kind of like the kingmakers, right? They were the guys that would come and they would give honor to they were offering to a new king to establish a new king, a king or kingdom or emperor or something like that. Um, and so they're traveling. And we know because we've heard this story later on that they give Jesus gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? So they give him some 
pretty nice, expensive gifts. If we were traveling with just a little bit of gold, we would be a little careful about that, right? So they didn't have hotels with a little security safe in the hotel, right, that you put your stuff in, which I don't know, is anybody else from the skeptical generation like me that I, I know that they have a key to that thing, right? I mean, like, is it right? Do you ever feel super confident when you put, that, put anything in there? Like, surely they come in and clean your room and check out the safe too, right? I mean, it's got to happen. But anyway, so they didn't even have that false security. So these guys would have traveled, first of all, there wasn't three of them. We don't know how many there were. It probably was a pretty huge entourage. They would have traveled with a whole group of guards, maybe even like a unit of soldiers that would have traveled with them to protect them and protect their gift. And so it would make sense then as they come into the city of Jerusalem, right, the capital of Israel, that everybody would get worked up with these guys and these armies coming in talking about there being a new king when crazy King Herod is still clearly the ruler. And King Herod was a little bit crazy from the perspective of he killed a lot of people, he killed a lot of people in his family, he was super paranoid, all these kind of things, right? So if you lived in this time, would you be alarmed of these guys showing up? Would you be wondering what in the world could possibly be happening? Yeah, you'd be a little concerned, a little confused, and a little freaked out. And I think that's a huge part of the story because a lot of what we see here is that these guys were not Jewish. They were pagans. They were Babylonians or Persians. They're coming from somewhere in that area. I mean, arguments could be made about which of those they were, probably Persians maybe, right? But they're coming from, and so why would they come to inaugurate the Messiah, the king of the Jews, being born? That wouldn't fit in any Jewish narrative, right? And a lot of the things that we struggle with in life is that when we put God in a box, it can leave us or leave you feeling alarmed, confused, insecure, unsteady. And this is what's happening in this story. God is doing something bigger than the box that the Jewish people at the day would have put him in. I can tell you, I've experienced this over and over and over again in my life. One of my favorite stories about this is actually here at Riverside. Uh, It was about five-ish years ago, I think, I went to my first prayer, prophetic prayer appointment here at Riverside. Um, And I had never, I just had never experienced anything like that. So I signed myself and Mindy up to go to that, which I think she's still, uh, she was okay with, right? It ended up being good. But we went. And I think it was on one of the vigils that we used to do, and we showed up and we went to this prayer appointment, had never experienced anything like that before, um, walked in, and to be honest, for me, it was a big time of transition. The ladies that I walked in with, there's a couple ladies and one guy, I believe, that was praying for me, um, walked in, and I'd never been in a situation where I was like, okay, I'm just going to sit down and not say anything, and you just Pray and we'll see what happens, kind of a thing, right? And so this is me walking in with God in my, my little box of like, oh, okay, but I said, I'll give it a try and see what happens. And if I'm honest, I partially went in there to see how crazy it was, right? If I'm honest, right? To go, see, I knew that, right? And that kind of a thing. But I sat down 
And these two ladies and this guy started praying for me. And it was in a season of transition, big transition for me. They didn't know me. They didn't know any of the things that were going on in my life. And they just kept praying and speaking things that I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly, oh my gosh, that's exactly where, yeah, oh, that's that thing I've been praying about. That's a, I mean, it was just over and over and over again. I've never honestly been in one of our prayer appointments with our prayer team and not walked away super encouraged uh, with some things maybe that I've got, okay, I have a little more clarity with that. And most of the time, even a lot of really good questions coming out of it, right? But maybe realigning and readjusting those questions to the right questions, right? Um, And so this is one of those things that we do in life. We see it a lot with worship. We talk about worship in all these ways, and we are comfortable with worship being in this certain box, right? But then if we've had different experiences, we take that, you know, worship and God and worshiping God and move it into this box over here, right? And that one's wrong, and this one's right, and if we can get people to be... And what we do is we just move God from box to box to box that we're really comfortable with, right? And the sad thing is... And one of the things I think we see in this story is God's like, let me out of the box, right? What I'll do, what I'll, the ways I'll show up are so much bigger than you can even imagine. Just let me out of the stinking box, right? And so these pagans show up in the middle of the Christmas story, actually at least a few days later, is for the best guess. We'll see later. It could be up to a couple, uh, you know, a year or two later. But at least a couple days later, they show up and they are a part of history that we're now 2,000 years later talking about. Right? So who were these guys? Persians, Babylon, okay. Daniel chapter 5, verse 11 gives us a little clue on maybe on why God includes them. It says, There is a man in your kingdom who has within him a spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, he proved to have insight, discernment, and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, appointed him chief of the magicians, astrologers, wise men, and diviners. Of course, he's talking about Daniel hundreds of years before right? So God sets Daniel over these group, this kind of Persian group of magicians, astrologers, wise men, diviners. And here's one of the interesting things. When you go back into ancient world, you can put all of those things together. Like most of science in the ancient world was considered like magic, right? And obviously there's some spiritual stuff. There's all those kind of things mixed in there. But God puts Daniel over them. So how would in the first century, hundreds of years later, or right at the turn of the first century, these people know about to even look into the sky for a star of some king of the Jews? Well, Daniel prophesied about a great king of the Jews. When the Jewish people returned, it's not like those prophecies left 
Babylon left the, right, they stayed, they remained there. I've had some great conversations with Carl this week and just talking about some of the little details and uh, it's been really fun just like affirming each other as we're looking into and researching and he's done some great research on this stuff too if you wanted to check this out. But these guys were well known for their role and they just happened to be looking into the sky to see this. And they know about it in part because of Daniel, in part because of another Babylonian prophet. Numbers 24 talks about Balaam, who was hired by Balak back at the time of Moses, so 1,500 something years later, to come curse the Jews. And if you remember that story, he can't do it, all this kind of stuff happens. And in the middle of his prophecy, his blessing of the Jews, he says, I see him, but not now. I behold him but not close at hand. A star that will march forth or rise out of Jacob and a scepter will rise out of Israel. So there's these prophecies. We would say maybe that these magi actually knew their text well enough to have an expectation of something God might do. When we look at this story, they show up, right? And there's King Herod who gets scared, concerned, mad. There's them who are there to honor God. And then there's all the Jewish leaders that are kind of indifferent, right? Kind of apathetic. Oh yeah, he's supposed to... I mean, if these guys were showing up to say, where's the king of the Jews? And you know he's in Bethlehem and you're one of the Jewish religious leaders. Are you telling me those guys didn't sprint down to Bethlehem and find Jesus? But they had gotten to a place of apathy. And this is what we're supposed to see. When we experience Jesus, when people meet and are confronted with Jesus, there's decisions that have to be made. Do you honor him? Are you afraid of him? Is he kind of an enemy that you're trying to get rid of? Or are you apathetic? And really, those two are kind of just different versions of the same thing. And this is kind of the story that's going on. So why were these magi looking up into the stars some 2,000-ish, 20 years ago? So there's this interesting thing that the earth does. It's called the precision of equinox. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the earth, you know, spins. We all know that it spins, right? Or you do know, right? It spins. And then there's a sun and it goes, right? Y'all know these things? Okay, no. Some of you shaking your head, yeah. But I won't say where you went to college, Um, right? But uh, just teasing, Uh, right? Spinning. But it's also on an axis. Uh, The earth is on a little bit of an axis. And so every about 2,000 to 2,150 years, that little turn of the axis, the twist that it's on, causes the sun to rise in a different constellation. Okay? So the star, the sun, remember if you're an ancient 2,000 years ago, you don't fully understand all of these things, what they are, stars, planets, sun, all, right? You don't know that there's differences in all of those kind of things necessarily, You're just looking around to see how does all this fit together. An interesting little side note is they also thought that the star outer space 
was water. And all this stuff was like floating around in water because that's just kind of what makes sense. So when you hear about like the water, the, um, the bodies of water and those being like a gateway to the Hades or to the heavens or to right, all those kind of things, that's where all of that connection comes from. It's really interesting. So right around, so in 2000 BC-ish, there was a change in where the sun rose, and it rose into the house of Ares. It was the age of Ares. And what became a belief, because this was noticed like 167-ish BC, and what became a religion and a belief was Mithra worship. And the concept here was that there was this god Mithra who killed Tories, which was the constellation before Ares, that killed the god Tories, and that's why we're now in the age of Ares, right? Okay, just interesting little things right there. Now, right around 5 to 2 BC, they knew that the sun was going to be rising into a new constellation or a new house, as they would call it. So they were looking, these astronomers, these magi, these wise guys, were looking, right, into the stars to see how this was all going to turn out, to see they believe there was a lot of, like, change in the world that happened when these things happened. So they're looking and watching for things. Now, Mithra worship was really fascinating. In the first century, there were two, the two fastest religions in the first century was number two was Christianity, okay? Number one was Mithra worship. From about 67 BC to 100 AD, there was 10,000 Mithraeums or churches, worship places for Mithra, from England all the way to India. So in the Roman Empire, this was just growing like a weed. And around 452 BC in there, this would have been taking off. Okay? Now here's what's fascinating. Mithra was this ultimate god-like figure, kind of connected to the sun, but like this ultimate kind of god. He was born of a virgin in a cave, He was attended by shepherds. He had 12 companions or disciples. His sacred day was on Sundays. And at these kind of secret ritualistic worship times, because this was a male-only religion that was kind of... We don't have all the details of what they did, but we do know that they drank wine and ate bread during their worship, had a special meal during this time. Fastest growing religion exploding in the Roman Empire. Right at a time when these guys are looking into the stars to see this change that's going to happen and this, the sun rising into a new house There was all these things that happened right around that time, like conjunctions between uh, Jupiter and Saturn, or yes, Jupiter and Venus, which was like the mother and the father. 
and all these things that happened. Uh, there was something that happened with Virgo, the Virgin, and that them being right in the middle of Virgo. All these pictures in the stars of this things that's happening. Why do I tell you all this? You're wondering, right? <laughs> okay, what? Because God's story is bigger and more elaborate than our little perspectives can see. And I think a lot of us, especially at the turn of a year, we need to be reminded that sometimes as we're going through life and we see these little things that are happening, sometimes they're really good and exciting and encouraging, and sometimes they're not. That there's this big, huge, amazing, elaborate story that God is writing and unfolding right in front of us. It's unbelievable. And we might not always get to see all of these pictures and all of these pieces that are in here, but as this religion that was, I mean, a counterfeit to Jesus, because guess what's not around anymore? Mithra worship. It's not around anymore. In fact, when we go to Israel, we go to Caesarea Maritima, and we go step into an old Mithraeum that is so miserable. I mean, we can only stand in there for 10 minutes. It's so humid and miserable, right? But we go and we look at and go, oh, isn't this interesting? And we talk about a few of these little pieces of this story. But God's doing something so big that he would align the stars at the right time that he would allow for this crazy worship of this false god to occur so that he could step onto the scene at right the right time, at the change of an era, and say, you know what you believe in? You're off, but this is right. This is right. You know what you think you've been following and these things that seem... Let me show you how that's actually true and right. Let me show you where it's right. Let me show you where it's good. And so he's writing this big, huge story that many times we just get to see or be this little piece in, right? And he wants to unfold it in our world. And we have to be bold and courageous, brave enough, willing like the Magi these pagans enough that when he starts to unfold a little piece that we step into it and follow him to see where his big story might be going. Who knows? You might step into a little piece that people might be talking about 2,000 years from now. I know most everybody's like, oh, please, not that long. Right, but anyway, right. It's huge. And we get so easily distracted. We get so easily discouraged. But this is how God works all the time. 400 years of silence before that. 400 years of, years of slavery, right? Before Moses. All these huge exile, being conquered by other nations. All this time, all these, don't you think those people cried out to God? Of course they did, just like we are today. Just like you're crying out for whatever the situations that you're in. And he might show up tomorrow and do that. Or he might show up in 60 years or 
And so are we okay with our part of the story? Are we willing to step into it? Let's see a little bit left of what these magi did. Matthew 2, 7 through 12, it says, Then Herod privately summoned the wise men and determined from them when the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and look carefully for the child. When you find him, inform me so that I can go to worship him as well. After listening to the king, they left. And once again, the star they saw when it rose led them until it stopped above the place where the child was or the house where the child was. When they saw the star, they shouted joyfully. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, and bowed down and worshiped or honored him. They opened their treasure boxes and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. After being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back by another route to their country. Isn't this amazing? So they go show up and they talk to Herod. And I know in our minds, and it could have been like this, that this one random magical star appears and it shines down on the house. All right. And that could have been. But whatever star they were following, whether they were actually following a star or they just knew that a star had risen and was changing houses and they were looking at these prophecies, they ended up in Jerusalem with Herod first, right? So either the star made a detour or that's not maybe what, exactly what was going on, but they end up with Herod, okay? Herod is asking them every question. When did this happen? How did it happen? What did it look like? When did the... When did it happen? When, what's the date? How long ago? Right? Because we know in the rest of the story what Herod does. But here's what's beautiful about the Magi. They just show up. They just go. They have con connections or influence that they use. They would have had to get permission to travel this far um, get, you know, be allowed to do that, have soldiers, company, guards to go with them. They bring expense. They spend all of this time. You could argue that the expense to go on the trip would have been more than the, what they actually left for Jesus even, right? So it might even be twice that, three times, right, of the expense of it all. They invest fully. They take the time and they take people with them. This is one of the interesting things that I think, what, what do you do if you're the random soldier, soldier number four, right? Guard number four. And you're traveling with these guys. Maybe you've done this before. Maybe you were on the last trip to see Herod a few years before. And all of a sudden you're going to this little dusty town, showing up at a small little house to worship this baby in a room, in a house that would have just been a big living area where all the family, all the different members of the family would have been and slept. And you go and worship this little baby that seems like all of this seems so odd and out of place. When you walk back all the rest of the way, travel back home, are you thinking about, are you wondering, what exactly just happened here? This is different. This isn't like when we visited Herod before. This isn't like when we go to visit Nero in the 60s. This isn't like, something is different here. And one of the questions I think this raises is what are you willing to give God? 
And what are you withholding? I think if we're honest, most of us are holding back a little bit on something with God. I know I do that. But as I turn my attention forward to the new year, there's a few things that I think about. With my time, man, it's so easy for me to get distracted, to get busy, to miss out on time with the Lord, miss out on opportunities that he might want to put me in because I'm just busy, distracted. One of the ones that's a really big one that's been on my mind a lot lately is this last year, the last two years, but this last year, it even kind of ramped up more so. I don't know if this happens to you. This happens to Mindy quite a bit. Um, But I've noticed that a lot of times God will prompt me with something or someone. And I'll go, oh, okay, I should make a note to call them at some point or send them a text, right? Then what happens? I forget, right? A lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time. And then I see them a week or two weeks later and find out something's going on in their life. There's something happening there, whatever it is, right? And I'll ask them, well, when did that start happening? It'll be right around when God was prompting me and I keep missing it. And so that's one of my things to like, stop, use my time, use my resource, use my, uh, you know, availability to just respond and give this to God, to stop where I am and make that call, send that text, whatever it is, right? I mean, we've all received those things from people and you know how much that means. Um, And oh man, that's a big one for me. One of the ones for me too is finding more opportunities to bring people with me, right? Just on little stuff, just little everyday kind of thing. I'm kind of this weird extrovert, introvert mix. And so I like my like, oh, I, don't, I want to ride in my car by myself and just get ready for the next time I'm around a whole bunch of people, right? Kind of thing. But maybe God sometimes is like, hey, why don't you just bring them in the car with you? What could that conversation be? What could that time be that you're willing to bring them along? Right? We see these magi just willing to give what they have, their time, their resources, their influence. And then these pagans have a dream from God, right? I love it. Again, if you're putting God in a box, how many times do random people who don't follow God have dreams, encounters, visions, some sort of, it's unbelievable, it's unbelievable in the scriptures. Uh, Balaam was another example, pagan prophet who heard, it says in there, the Lord spoke to him and said, right? Oh, love it, right? And here's the truth. All of us are those people at some point until God speaks to us, he shows himself, he makes himself known to us. But they have a dream and they to go back a different way. So they do, they go back a different way. They go way out of their way is what they would have had to do to skip Jerusalem, skip uh, Herod. Herod finds out the rest of the story. And uh, what we know is he then sends his soldiers to go kill the babies who are two and under in Bethlehem, right? And this should make you think about Moses, right? Killing the babies, 
connection, the new Moses, the one like Moses is here, has arrived on the scene. And it's an interesting thing. It's a small town, so it wasn't like this big, huge massacre, maybe like we make it in our mind. Herod was pretty wicked and killed lots of people, so this didn't even necessarily make it into his list of bad things that he did. Uh, If you want to go look up stuff on Herod, you'd be amazed. It gets pretty bad. But one of the things that God does in the middle of all of that is he shows just how amazingly compassionate he is. How do I say that? We've talked about Mary and Joseph a lot this month. Mary and Joseph dealing with this whole situation. Yes, it's pretty amazing at this point. You got Magi showing up saying all this stuff about your baby. You had angel experiences. I mean, it's, there's some good stuff, but they're also social outcasts. They're also looked down on. Now, we know they're living in the house at this point. So very likely, the shepherds showing up and saying the angels showed, said this, maybe gave them some, you know, street cred with their family, <laughs> enough to pull them out of the animal barn and into the house to live with them, right? But then what happens? Some super crazy rich guys from out of nowhere show up to this little house and give you a fortune and say they saw this, this happened because of all these kind of things. Isn't it so kind of God to show up and redeem all that Mary and Joseph had experienced? In the rest of the gospels, we don't see them as outcasts. They're traveling with everybody. They're a part of the whole thing, right? They're not outcast. Why? Because God showed up over and over again to prove to their family that what they experienced was actually true, right? How kind of God. And then it says that Joseph has a dream and that very night he gets up, they take off and they head to Egypt because they, the uh, angel warned him that Herod was coming to kill the baby. And so they take off. There was also a little bit maybe of this, hey, somebody in a little small town won a lottery, Uh, and we know where they live, right? So maybe there's a little piece of that. But God shows up and provides for them financially to be able to take this journey, survive, keep Jesus safe. All of this happens because some pagans were faithful, looked into the stars, followed through. All of this happens because Daniel, hundreds of, of years before was faithful and followed through, shared what God shared with him and it maintained and remained for this part of the story hundreds of years later. Galatians chapter four says, but when the appropriate time had come, God sent out his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we may be adopted as sons with full rights. At just the right time, God lines up the stars. At just the right time, the worship that looked sort of like Jesus was floating around that could easily be understood in the Roman world as it was spreading like wildflower when Jesus the correct answer comes onto the scene. At just the right time, God puts Daniel in charge 
of these guys. At just the right time, God has Balaam come interact with the Israelites and bless them and speak a prophecy about Jesus that would lead these guys 1,500 something years later to look into the star and know that a king of the Jews had been born at just the right time. So what is the time that has come for you to step into this year? This is the way that God works in his story. At just the right time. And I believe that you're sitting here today because at just the right time, God has you as a little piece of his big, huge story right where you're supposed to be in the neighborhood you're supposed to be living in, in the job you're supposed to be in, with the friends and the family you're supposed to have for just the right time.